Thanks for choosing to listen to another City Point West podcast. I trust that this message empowers and encourages you to continue your journey of faith. Enjoy. I'm going to set homework before I even start this morning. I'm going to spend a bit of time in the book of Daniel. And listen, I don't have the time to read through the entire three chapters, or the first three chapters of the book of Daniel. I wish I did. Uh, I wish I did. I don't have the time to do that. But I encourage you uh, this week, spend some time in the book of Daniel because I want to start a series and I'm going to uh, give two different messages on this series in the book of Daniel. And my message today is entitled The Daniel Generation. Listen, many of you, I'm sure, have spent a lot of time in the book of Daniel, read the book of Daniel. Some of you may not. If you don't and you haven't, it's in the Old Testament. That's a start. If you're looking, where do I go? I know some of you, that was nervous giggles, not funny giggles. If you look in the beginning of the book and you start there, you'll find it as you flick through the the, uh, Old Testament, you'll find the book of Daniel. And the book of Daniel is a, a powerful book. It's a prophetic book, but it's not just a prophetic book. It's also a book that talks through the lives and specifically the lives of four men. It talks around the challenges in the book, uh, in the people of Israel when they had fallen away from God and walked away from their purposes of walking with God. And just to give you a quick debrief on the book of Daniel, if you don't know the book of Daniel, the, the story picks up as the Babylonians have come and conquered Israel and taken many people back captive into Babylon. Now, let me just theologically explain to you that whenever you read about Babylon, you're always reading about the spirit of the age. It's prophetically speaking about what we deal with today. The spirit of the age that we walk through, it's prophetically speaking about the enemy. It's prophetically speaking about the world system and its influence on, we see here on Israel, but also prophetically speaks about our lives and what we walk through and what we're dealing with every day. Again, this story starts specifically focusing on four men. The Bible says that these men have been captured. They're brought into captivity. And the Bible tells us the first thing that the Babylonians do is rename these guys. Now, can I, can I just stop for a minute here and, and just talk about the reality of what the spirit of the age is trying to redo to the church right now? It's trying to rename people. It's trying to steal identity. It's trying to take away the identity that God has placed in our life. There is a spirit of confusion over this age. That Listen, it hasn't stayed away from the church. It's in the church today. It's trying to even steal the identity of who we are as believers and who we are as Christians, as Bible-believing, faith-filled Christians. The, the spirit of the age wants to steal that identity. Listen, we have an identity that comes not from anything else other than the reality that is in Jesus Christ. He puts identity in my life. He puts identity in your life. He establishes that in you. And listen, the enemy today wants to steal it from you. We see as we pick up this story in chapter 1 that they were renamed straight away again as the enemy tries to steal that. The second thing we see in verse 4, it says they took these young men. Can I read through verse 4 for a moment? They took these young men without any physical defect, handsome. Tito would have obviously been taken in. Showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand and qualified to serve in the king's palace. Listen, they asked the guy to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. Listen, we see that Babylon, the system of the age, renamed them 
but secondly, wanted to retrain their thinking. Listen, if we read this, we can just skip over a couple of verses and just think we're listening and reading a story of Daniel, but not realizing that this is prophetically speaking of every age that has been since the day of Daniel, where the spirit of the age has come to rename and come to transform the mind. You walk into a university today, you'll see the power of the attempt of the spirit of the age to retrain a mind and retrain thinking. You open your social media apps today, you'll see the spirit of the age that attempts to retrain and reshape the thinking and the belief system of an entire generation. You spend five minutes in the news today, you'll see the spirit of the age, just like in this age, trying to retrain a whole generation in their thinking. If we go back into the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul writing to what was the centre of culture then. This Babylon was the centre of culture at that moment. Rome became the centre of culture back in the first century and it was the same spirit trying to retrain everybody's thinking. And Paul wrote to the Romans church, he said, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He said this, listen, there is a spirit, there is an age, there is, there, there is an attempt to retrain the thinking of believers today. And listen, don't let your mind be trained and shaped by the spirit of this age. And I want to stand before you today, church, and I want to encourage you right now. There is an enemy coming to transform our minds, but there is a spirit that's in Christ that comes to build our thinking and our believing. Don't let this word just sit on your mantelpiece. Let this word shape your mind, shape your thinking, shape your believing every single day. This Bible wasn't meant to sit there and just look good. This Bible is there to shape our hearts, our minds and our thinking into the image of Christ. That's why Paul said, be not conformed to this world. That's why Daniel gives us a picture of what the enemy's trying to do in our hearts and our lives. And I want to be really clear, this generation is aggressive in attacking mine and your belief system, in attacking our faith, in attacking our values. Listen, even in attacking the belief that this word is true and it's full and it's changing our lives every single day. I'd love to say it's leaving Christians alone, but just a couple of weeks ago, I sat with a couple of believing friends of mine who started to tell me that their whole belief system has shifted and they don't even believe most of the Old Testament. They don't even believe that Paul's words were necessarily written to believers today. They started telling me this. I, I, I was saddened by the words that came out of my believing friend's mouths. And it reminded me of the simple fact that there is an enemy trying to rob the truth from a generation. Listen, this word is alive today. The Bible tells us in Christ it's alive and it's moving and it's shaping our lives. The Bible tells us it's sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide between the soul and the spirit to bring transformation to who we are as believers in the house today. Church, understand when we read through the first couple of verses in the book of Daniel, we see a picture of the generation we live in today. And we need a generation that decides it won't be shaped and molded by the world we live in today. Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. Through this, Daniel says he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank, Therefore, he requested the chief of eunuchs that he might not defile himself. 
Listen, I love this verse. It's one of my favourite verses in the Bible. I love the statement that a young man in the middle of a generation that was vilely attempting to attack his belief system, that was vilely attempting to rename his life, that was vilely attempting to reshape who he was as a person, he would stand there and say, I will not be defiled. Listen, the the Bible is filled with great stories. I, I thank God for the David stories. The David stories that give me hope that in my mess, I am restored and redeemed and the power of his redeeming work in my life. I love that. I love the story of the Apostle Paul. Here's a guy that persecuted the church. His start was messy. His start was ugly. But in an encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus, he was knocked from his horse and he said, Lord, Lord, what's going on just right now? What's happened in my life? And God rose him up, blinded his eyes so that his spirit man could come alive to truth. I love that. But I also love the thought that a young man in the middle of an aggressive generation could make a decision at a young age and say, I don't want to be defiled. I don't want to be shaped by the lies of my generation. I don't want to be shaped by what culture tells me is fine. I don't want to be shaped by a culture that says binge drinking is normal. I don't want to be shaped by a culture that says, listen, if you want to have a happy life, you need to drink, you need to do drugs. I don't want to be shaped by a culture that says it's okay to go and have sex with whoever you want, wherever you want, however you want. I don't want to be shaped by a culture like that that says I don't want to be defiled by the mess of the world I see around me. I don't want to be defiled by this aggressive lies and deceptions. I love a man that says that. In the middle of a messy place, in the middle of a depraved, broken culture, makes a decision. I don't want to be defiled. You know, the incredible thing about being defiled or influenced is sometimes it happens slowly. You ever notice that? In an aggressive culture, it comes aggressively slowly. Let's rewind ourselves, if we must, 50 years to what was a biblical generation. Then fast forward 50 years to the post-Christian Australia. Rewind 50 years, go beyond the sexual revolution and the mess that become the world that we live in today where there's no longer ultimate truths and understanding of how we would live our life. And in fact, a world that is filled with just confusion and brokenness that so entangles itself in the thinking and the belief system of a generation that we now as a Christian belief system would proclaim the promises and the Word of God and be thought of as crazy. What a strange day that we live in. But it didn't shift instantly. It shifted one degree. It shifted one degree. It shifted one degree. If you shift one degree 180 times, you're walking the opposite direction. If you shift one degree 90 times, you're going this way. We've got to understand that that one degree is the enemy's aggressive plan for our world today. And listen, believers, we stand in a place right now, in a generation right now, where the enemy's aggressively trying to shift you one, one degree. 
trying to shift you in the way that you think, trying to shift you in the way that you believe. Listen, I, I want us to understand that we also have a God that's shifting us back to the Word of God, shifting us back to His promises, shifting us back to what is life, shifting us back to in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God, shifting us back to the truth that is there for our lives. And we can become like a young man that will say, I don't want to be defiled. I don't want my thinking to be changed. I don't want my belief system to be shifted away from the truth that's in Christ, the truth that's in His Word. Listen, I understand that that is countercultural today. I understand that. It's countercultural to come back to what God says to us. But we've got to understand that young men did it in this story and young men and women in this room, more mature men and women in this room, where none, none of us are immune to what that Spirit is trying to do today. I stood with friends of mine just weeks ago. They were youth pastors with me when I was a young man as a youth pastor. 25 years later, one degree, 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 one degree. Now our belief systems are totally the opposite. They still sit in churches. They still fill the pews. But their belief systems have shifted so far. Church that we would not defile ourselves, a generation that would arise and say, I won't be defiled. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, And you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. He didn't call you out of darkness to walk back into darkness. He called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. A.W. Tozer said this, God wants a whole person and he will not rest until he gets us in entirety. No part of man will do. God wants us completely set apart under him. We need an aggr- a, a generation in this aggressive culture to stand and say, I won't be moved. Again, I love the redemptive stories. Listen, you, you may walk into this room and you may be saying, Pastor Tim, I come in here carrying a world of baggage with me. You may walk into this room and not been in church much of your life and you walk into this room today and you're saying, Pastor Tim, I carry some shame with me. I carry some mess with me. I carry some brokenness with me. Listen, I want to tell you the beauty of the gospel story is this. When we bring that stuff to this room, we lay it at the foot of the cross and the gospel doesn't keep dragging it behind you. The gospel is the power of Christ through the cross that cuts off that past. It cuts off. You may have spent a whole life in deception. You may have spent a whole life in mess and brokenness. You may have spent a whole life caught up in your, in your hurt and in the, in the mess of your life. You may carry a lot of scars to this room. I want to tell you, the Bible is powerful and profound in what Jesus has done for our lives. Romans chapter 6, verse 4. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in a newness of life. Listen, you, you may have spent your life caught up in the lies of a generation. I want to tell you today, through Christ, through Jesus, right here, right now, He has the power to cut off those lies, to cut off that brokenness, to cut off those scars, to heal that area of your life and bring newness through Jesus Christ and through the cross. And from that point, 
from that point, we say, I don't want to be defiled. I'm leaving my mess behind. Revelations 21 verse 5 says, And then he sat on the throne and said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write these words that they are true and they are faithful. The beauty of Jesus Christ is he makes it new. If you're in this place today and you feel like you're carrying that mess, you feel like you're carrying that brokenness, I want to tell you the cross is enough for you. It was enough for me. It's enough for you. His grace is enough for me. It's enough for you. His blood was enough for me. It's enough for you. It's enough to wash you yesterday, to wash your past, to set you free. And listen to say, from this day forward, I am taking a hold of the promises of Christ. That's you today. At the end of this service, we're going to have a space and a moment to stop and pray for you. Because I want to tell you today, Jesus loves you. And he wants a generation that says, I'm leaving it. And from this day forward, I'm taking a hold of Christ. A generation that says, I will give myself fully to Jesus. Brother Lawrence, a man many years ago that suffered through warfare, suffered through loss, suffered through brokenness in his life, made this great statement. He said, this made me resolve to give the all for the all. So after having given myself wholly to God, that he might take away my sin, I renounced for the love of him everything that was not he. And I began to live as if there was none, but he and I in the world. A Daniel generation that would say, no matter what I faced before, today it's me and Christ and we're living together. I read through the book of Daniel and I see the reality of a life lived well when they say, I'm taking a hold of Jesus. I'm taking a hold of his promises. And listen, in an evil, broken culture. Daniel was in an evil, broken culture, just like our culture today. Yet he said, I hold on to my God. I hold on to him. I hold on to all that he is. You know, the powerful thing is that Daniel, through it all, had faith to know that he could always trust in his God. In his evil culture, he had faith to know that I would trust in God no matter what I walked through. He was challenged. Listen, his story wasn't an easy one. His story had some pits, had some fires, had some threatening of his life, yet he kept holding on. Even at that statement of saying, I would not be defiled in verse 12, he went on and said, Hey, the, the guy said, listen, my life's at risk if I let you do this, if I let you not be defiled. And he says this, test me in this for 10 days and see if my life is still blessed after those 10 days. I love a man that has a faith to say, I know what's right and test me in this and see if it is right. I know what's right and test me in this to see what the outcomes are for my life. Listen, Sometimes in our lives, things don't go well. But when we stay in trust, trusting God, we will see the outcomes will be right. Sometimes it takes 10 days though. Listen, sometimes it takes 10 months. Sometimes it takes 10 years. Sometimes there's some holding on for that place of trust. But when we're holding on in faith, there's a realisation that God's promises come to pass. Listen, Daniel's in this place and he says, hey, I know you don't believe me, but you just wait and see what God's going to do. You just wait and see. When I trust Him, I remain undefiled. God's going to do something great in me and through me. I was thinking just recently, I've had a friend of mine that I've shared Christ with for about 15 to 20 years. 
when I, when I first met him, I've talked about him before here. When I first met him, his first statement was, I know you're a pastor, but I'm an atheist. That was his first statement. 15, 20 years of sharing Christ, sharing Jesus. You know the most powerful statement I ever made to him, and I've shared a lot with him, was this. You ask God, and he'll reveal himself to you. The Bible tells you so. If you ask, listen, I'm talking to an atheist that's no idea how to pray, no idea how to ask, but I've told him a hundred times, you ask. When he doubts, you ask. When he tells me it's impossible, you ask. You know, I was talking to him on the phone during the week again, and his whole challenge and God's doing some awesome stuff in his life and his whole thinking has changed. He's gone through a heck of a mess in the last couple of years, but that heck of a mess has led him back to the fact that this guy now is asking every day. He's asking every day. He, he's still not 100% there. He's still got some difficulty. He's still got some challenge, but he's asking and he's asking and he's asking and he's asking. Listen, God's word is clear on this. If we, if we ask, he will come. If we believe and hold on, his, his hand will come for our lives. It's an amazing thing. This wasn't the end to his challenges. We know there was lots more if you go into chapter two. In chapter two, the challenges grew. In fact, the moment in chapter 2 when the king had a dream and he wanted the wise men of the time, who Daniel was one of them, to interpret the dream. But not just interpret the dream. In the story, he says, I want you to tell me my dream first so you don't just give me a false interpretation. You've got to tell me my dream and then interpret it so I know. If you can tell me the dream, I know your interpretation's right. He's a smart king. Because I can imagine those guys say, oh, that's your dream? Yeah, let me tell you what the dream means. They just make up anything. He's a smart enough king to go, listen, if you can interpret it, you can know what it was. Daniel wasn't there at the time. And all of a sudden, Daniel's life's at risk. And Daniel says this. He says, put me before the king. Oh, king, if you give me a moment, I'll go and ask my God, and he'll show you what the dream is, and he will show you the interpretation. I love this about this guy. Every time he says, if you give me time, I'm going to come back and tell you. I know my God will do that. I know my God will do that. The funny thing is this. In chapter 2, verse 11, when the other guys, the wise men, the, the astrologers, all of those guys, the wise men of Babylon, they couldn't answer the question. In fact, in verse 11, they said, it's a difficult thing that you request, king. And there is no one who can tell it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. What a profound statement. Listen, I want you to keep your finger in that passage of your Bible, because we're coming back there at the end of this message. I tell you, because there is a profound statement right there. Because their statement was, this is impossible. We can't do this. This is unworkable. But then Daniel comes and says, hey, if you give me time, my God will reveal this to me. If you give me time. And then he goes and does what? He seeks God. Listen, if you read through this chapter, from that moment, he says, King, I... I I will go and find out for you. And then the Bible says he fasts and prays and seeks God. Pop quiz. Pop quiz. This is an internal pop quiz. In the middle of your, in your middle of your last challenge of life, who was the first person you sought? Pop quiz. Don't yell it out because we might not want the answer yelled out. Was it mum? Was it dad? Was it friend? Was it Pastor Tim? Was it, was it a, a trusted person in our life or do we pray and fast and seek God? The answer to Daniel's pop quiz is a good one. He just straight away says to his friends, listen, 
go and seek God. We're seeking God together because he's going to give the answer. He's going to give the answer. In, in verse 26, the king answered and said to Daniel, whose name is Belshazzar, the renaming, are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen in its interpretation? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, the secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers cannot declare to the king, but there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. And he has made known to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, what will be in the latter days. Your dream and your visions uh, of your head upon your bed were these. As for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while in your bed about what would come to pass after this. And he would reveal secrets. So he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. But as for me, this secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living. But for the sakes... Uh, who make known the interpretation to the king that you may know the thoughts of your heart. He says, listen, it's not because I'm smart. It's because I actually went to God for my own sake. I love this. What faith? Listen, a Daniel generation needs faith to say, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you, not that I'm smart, not that I'm skilled, not that I've got all the skills, but through this, I'm trusting you for my life. Through all of these things, I'm trusting you for everything that I go through. I want you to note something. He says, hey, all of those other people, the people of culture, couldn't find the answer. And and we've got to be clear about this. The spirit of the age isn't the answer for this age. People are looking for answers today. We have a generation looking for answers in their loss, in their brokenness, in their mess, looking for answers. And they need a generation that says, I'm not shaped by the culture. I'm shaped by my king and I have the answer. I have the answer. The answer's in me. The answer I've discovered in Jesus. The answer's in in my life. Not because I'm wise. Not because I'm smart. Not because I'm better than you. Not because I carry self-righteousness in my belief system. My righteousness is in Christ. My self-righteousness, Paul tells us, is filthy rags. But my righteousness is in Christ. Listen, if we go into chapter 3, there becomes another challenge. Another challenge that the king sets up for himself, a, a golden idol to, to worship. But the others, the, 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 the three friends of Daniel say, we're not going to worship that idol. Again, I want you to go and read these stories because they're powerful and they're profound. And again, I don't have the time just to read through them all for you today. They're powerful. They're life-changing. But here in this moment in chapter 3, these guys get caught out saying, we're not worshipping. We're not turning our eyes to the mess of this culture. We're not going to go where everyone else is going, doing what everyone else is doing. We're not going to bow our knee to the expectations of everybody else. Listen, that is mighty countercultural. And remember, your, your culture is trying to bow your knees. Bow your knee to one thing, to our Saviour Jesus Christ. He is the one we must be surrendered to. Not that culture that's trying to push your knee down, trying to push you past what you believe, trying to push you past what the Word of God tells you. These men say that they won't bow down and it costs them dearly. In chapter 3, verse 16, I'd love to read a couple of verses because their statement is profound. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you any further of this matter. If that is the case, they're about to be thrown into a fiery furnace. And listen, if you're not sure what a fiery furnace is, just imagine a really big fire 
that is really, really hot. And it's not just stick your finger in that thing. It's one that you get thrown into. And when you get thrown into, it's not like barbecued pork ribs. You're in big trouble. You're in big, big trouble. And he says, they say in a powerful thing, if it's the case that you'll throw us in there, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor we worship the golden image that you have set up. Can I just show you a picture of faith? Isn't it amazing how we have faith when our God delivers us? It's easy to have faith when I say, God, I know you're going to deliver me and he delivers me. I knew it. But what we struggle with is when we go, God, you will deliver me, but I still end up a little singed and burnt. Listen, the story tells us they didn't end up singed and burnt. Yes, they ended up in the fiery furnace, but they didn't smell like fire when they come out. They didn't have singed hair when they come out. It looks like I've been in the fire and my hair was singed a little bit. That's not what happened. It's the stress from all you mob made it fall out. That's what happened. They end up in the fire. But the faith remained. But the faith remained. But the faith remained. Listen to their statement. Oh, King, my God, He is well able to deliver us. That fake gold king of yours, that fake gold God of yours, he could never deliver us, but my God can deliver us. And listen, O king, even if he doesn't, know this, we have faith in him anyway. Even if we end up in that furnace, we have faith. Even if we end up in that place, our faith remains in our God. Listen, we need a generation that's going to go through some fiery moments. It's going to go through some challenge. It's going to go through some difficulties. Dad was talking before as we, and we went through that moment of transition. He was talking about that challenge, that difficulty, that hardship, the thing we go through and we remain in faith. God, you're able to deliver me. Listen, I look across this room. There are some people that have been in fiery furnaces and some right there right now. And in that fiery furnace, we remain in faith. Because God, you are well able to deliver me. Brother Lawrence again, that we ought to give ourselves up to God with regard both to the things temporal and spiritual and seek our satisfaction only in the fulfilling of His will. Whether He leads us by suffering or by consolation, for all would be equal to a soul truly resigned, truly surrendered, truly given to God. Trust that goes beyond our challenges. Just this week, I was sitting in a pastor's moment with a whole range of pastors and we were being trained and equipped. And Pastor Carolina Gunza, who many of us know well, she's preached here a number of times. She's pastor of our Redcliffe location. She was standing there and talking about the fiery furnace of her life. If you don't know, just a couple of years ago, Pastor Carolina lost her husband. Pastor Sam Gunza, he preached here and friend to me for many, many years. And he passed away just a couple of years ago of cancer. Went through that battle, a, a painful battle. And here she stands as a pastor and she's sharing stories. She's sharing a story of a couple of weeks after that, 
She was going to take a three-month break, but she took three days break and thought, what am I doing? God's called me for the kingdom of God. She went to church the next Sunday, and there was somebody that was waiting for Pastor Sam to get better so he could baptize him. And Pastor Sam's now dead. And the guy's standing beside the water baptism. She walked up and said, you want to get baptized, don't you? And he said, yes, I do. And she said, I'm going to get in and baptize you. Pastor Sam can't because he's not here, but I am. She talks about baptizing. She's sharing story after story of, of walking through the fiery furnace and staying in faith while she's there. After announcing the fact that she's actually now engaged to marry a, a, a guy that, listen, also lost his wife to cancer three months before Pastor Carolina. And now he's here and he's a pastor and he's serving God and God has brought them together. And it's a beautiful redemptive story, an amazing story of people going through a furnace. And now they're in the middle of that and God's still coming and, and having miracles happen. And I was there on the Tuesday night when they're both leading a prayer meeting together and the guy's incredible worship leader and I was just going God your grace is amazing we can be in fiery furnaces and your grace is amazing we can be in brokenness and hardship and we can just trust that your grace is enough listen some of you in this room have gone through some terrible furnaces some terrible moments of life but in amongst them that our trust remains firm in Christ these men in the midst of the fiery furnace trusted their God and said, oh, King, you can bring us out. Uh, God can bring us out. But even if He doesn't, I'm not going to worship your idol set up there. And listen to see what happens. He, they get thrown in the fiery furnace in verse 24. And King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. And he rose in haste when he looked into that fiery furnace, saying to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound in the midst of the fire? Look, he answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Let, stop, stop here. Before you clap, can we rewind a chapter? Did you keep your finger there in chapter 2? What did the spirit of the age say? Oh, God couldn't walk on earth. That God couldn't be here to give the answer. That God couldn't be here. And now three men stand in the midst of the worst moment of their life with that God that walks with us in the midst of our brokenness, that walks with us in the midst of our furnace, that walks with us in the midst of going through cancer treatment, that walks with us in the midst of our financial battle, that walks with us in the midst of our marriage challenge, that walks with us in the midst of the hell that is the brokenness of our world, that everything that we face in losing loved ones, losing situations, and He's there in the midst with us. He's in the midst. He's there in the midst. The Spirit of the age says, no, 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 He can't walk with us. But the book of John says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. And the Word dwelt among us. Come on, we have a great Saviour, Jesus Christ, that walks with us. Listen, He's not in the grave. We sung about it before. He's not dead. He's risen and He's moving amongst us again still today. He's moving in your challenge right now. He's moving in your furnace today. The furnace of your heart. The furnace of your situation. The furnace of your brokenness. The furnace of your despair. It's Jesus with us. It's Jesus with us. It's Jesus with us. It's Jesus with us. These three men in the midst of the furnace had the closest moment of their life with their God. 
so close that even the king could see it. So close that even the soothsayers, even the magicians, even those guys that said it it was impossible looked in and they could see it. Listen, a Daniel generation stands in faith, in trust, remains undefiled, holds on to the promises in his word, holds on to everything that he's declared for our life, holds on and says, I'm going to hold, I'm going to hold, I'm going to hold. Yes, I might spend a few days being tested. I might spend a few days not sure of the outcome. I might spend a few days walking through the burning fire of my life, but I know in the middle of it, there's another man with me and it's Jesus. And it's Jesus. And it's Jesus. I'm not sure your fiery furnace today, but I know Jesus is in it with you. I know Jesus is there right now at your side. Holy Spirit of God, come let's bow our heads, let's close our eyes. Holy Spirit, I thank you. Jesus, that you are with us. You are with us. You are with us. Your word tells us in the book of Romans that while we're yet in our mess, Christ, you died for us. My heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I said earlier, maybe you're not walking with Christ now. Maybe you walked in this room not even sure about your whole relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've not been in church before. Maybe you've been here many times. But you know this voice of God is calling you to Himself. It's Jesus. He wants to walk with you. You're here in this room. Your heads are bowed and eyes are closed. You, you can hear that. You sense that. You want to open your life to Jesus. I would love to pray for you right in your seat. I'd Love you to give me a wave this morning. Say, Pastor Tim, could you pray for me? Maybe you feel a little like, like I talked about earlier, messy, broken, carrying sin, but you know it's time to let it go and turn to Christ. And if you want that quickly today, just give me a wave in this room. This is a moment. I want to pray for you right where you're at. Awesome man. Awesome man. Awesome up the back. Who will join those three this morning? It's wonderful at the back. You can put that hand down over here in the middle. Thank you. You can put your hand down. God, you would pour out your love, you would pour out your grace, you'd pour out your truth and your Holy Spirit into those hearts today. My God, the mess of yesterday, the brokenness of yesterday, the scars of yesterday, the pain of yesterday, the shame, the guilt carried into this room, my God, left at the foot of the cross today. My Jesus, I thank you right now that you pour out your great love, you pour out your great Holy Spirit upon those lives. Jesus, wonderful name. Wonderful name. Let's give those people a great big hand today. It's a wonderful decision. I know this message will keep speaking to you as you continue your day. So for more information about City Point West, jump on citypointchurch.com or follow our social media accounts, Instagram, City Point West, 
or our Facebook, City Point Church West. Have a great day.